Friends, Brian here for Yes You Can Play Guitar, and thank you once again for tuning into our podcast. Rusty Cooley, for those of you that are in the guitar community and somehow don't know who he is, I refer to Rusty Cooley as literally the scariest guitar player on the planet. I have known about Rusty for probably about 15 or 20 years. Even 20 years ago, he was a very, very scary guitar player. And I went through a phase, I was already a very accomplished guitar player, professional player. I'm going to say about 13 years ago now, maybe 12 years ago, where I really pushed myself hard with my technique. It just got really stupid. I remember just practicing so hard for many, many months. And uh, Rusty had this famous lick out. It's called Bet You Can't Play This. And it was with Guitar World. And I remember seeing the video for that. And uh, I remember coming pretty close, but not quite as fast as Rusty. But... uh, Anyway, you know, Rusty really has inspired a lot of guitar players to really, really push the limits with their playing. And, uh, you know, he was always one of my favorite guitar players and one of my inspirations. So when he and I got talking, this would have been back in the fall of uh, 2022, uh, he was just cool. Rusty, since I would almost call him a friend, you know, we probably text, keep in touch every other week, maybe. And uh, the first time we tried to do this interview, I think he had a family emergency or something. So, but we put it off for the next week. And here's the funny thing it was Halloween. And what I do, Halloween's big in our household, folks. So, for Halloween, I have videos up of it on YouTube. I think I have a shorts of it and a video of it. But we do the house up. I dressed up like the scream guy, but I have my red Jackson Demolition V. What I do, I was behind a curtain. I had it all set up and plugged in. And then, when kids would come in, I would step out from behind a curtain and start playing these guitar licks. and they <laughs> So the kids around here, they didn't know what the hell to think. But anyway, so we spent the weekend before. So Halloween was on a Monday. We spent the, the weekend before, uh, my partner Jeanette and I, we, we got the house all done up, the garage all done up. It was a lot of work. And uh, so anyway, I rescheduled with Rusty. And Rusty, I was on Eastern Central Time. Uh, sorry, I was on Eastern Standard Time, and he was on Central Standard Time because he's in Houston. And... We got into this conversation. It was going really, really good. You know, and I'm sitting there, you know, talking to him. Oh, man, this is cool. I'm talking to Rusty Cooley. I can't believe it. This is a guy who's really inspired me and one of my favorite guitar players. And he was just awesome. You know, it was a really awesome interview. But then, it, you know, it started to get dark out. And I was like, you know, Rusty, I'm so sorry. We got the house dolled up. I got to get out there because the kids are coming soon. So uh, anyway, it was really cool. But uh, it was a quite the Halloween night. The kids didn't know what to think, but, uh, but no, I have kept in touch with Rusty ever since, you know, he's just such an inspiration, amazing guitar player. And I happen to have one of his Dean Xenocide seven strings. I do a review on it. It's on YouTube, but it was a great interview. So for all you, uh, hardcore guitar enthusiasts out there, or you got your, the technique guys out there, uh, you'll really like it. It's pretty awesome. So anyway, Again, guys, if uh, you like what you hear and you want to give back a little bit or you want to support me and what I'm doing, if you're ever on my YouTube channel, click subscribe, man. It's like half a calorie pressing the button on the mouse to do the click. That really helps a lot for me. And, you know, you can donate to my channel if you want, paypal.com slash yes, you can play guitar. You can donate to the podcast, should I say. Also, uh, if you're into Patreon, you, I have two Patreon communities, one for my reaction community, which has a ton of perks, and the other one is my guitar community, which has a lot of perks too. So if you're more of the guitar player, you'll probably want to go to the guitar community. That is patreon.com slash 
YYCPG guitar community and my reaction community is patreon.com slash guitar. But anyway, for a few bucks a month, you can check it out, check out all the benefits. If you ever just want to contact me too, you can email me at yesyoucanplayguitar at gmail.com. So my friends, without further ado, here is my interview with the one and only scariest guitar player on the planet, Mr. Rusty Cooley. Friends, Brian here for Yes You Can Play Guitar, and I got to tell you something. This was this was this is a big thing for me. This is a big deal. A year ago, if someone my channel was new, if someone would have said you're going to have 11,000 subscribers and you're going to be interviewing this guy, I would have laughed, and then I would have laughed some more. I, as you guys know, musician for a long time, but I am a technique guy on the guitar, and you know, no matter how good you get, there's this one guy who always kept me in check. Okay. You go in the playground, you think you're getting tough. There's always someone bigger. There's always someone stronger. You know, there's always someone stronger in the gym, no matter how strong you get. For me, this fellow really kept me in check, no matter how crazy my technique got. It's only my personal feeling, but I'm going to express it. I refer to this person as the scariest guitar player in the world. So if someone came from another planet and said, I'm going to demonstrate how to play guitar, it would be this guy. Friends, it's an absolute honor and joy for me. To have here to talk today, the one and only, Mr. Rusty Cooley. Rusty, thank you so much for being here. Oh, dude, thank you. Thank you for your kind words, man. Appreciate it. It's, it's, it's very cool, man. Thank you. I'm honest. I think that's why people like me. Uh, Rusty, you know, let's uh, let's uh, you know, let's just kind of get the the usual stuff out of the way. What are your biggest influences? Who made you want to pick up the guitar? Sure. Um, initially. I started playing guitar because me and some friends had been um, air guitaring with tennis rackets um, to some uh, Ted Nugent records and some, you know, things like that. And uh, after a couple months of playing air guitar, I got a brilliant idea and said, hey guys, how about we get some real electric guitars, you know? And uh, it kind of started there. So I wouldn't really say Ted Nugent was the reason I started playing guitar, but maybe, maybe it is, I don't know. I think my first real guitar hero before I even realized there was such a thing as guitar heroes was Ace Freely. You know, I remember I used to always seeing him on TV when I was a kid, um, really young, way before I started playing guitar. But uh, the initial, my initial first real guitar hero was Randy Rhodes. You know, and, and when I started playing and discovered Randy's playing, it was Randy or die. You know, um, I was always a big Eddie Van Halen fan too, but I was more of a Rhodes guy. I liked the classical and the heavier, darker kind of sound mm -hmm. um, a lot. And then, um, you know, Rhodes, it was Malmsteen. You know, when Ingve came out, he was just, and this is what I don't think a lot of people understand today, the younger generation, is how much impact Ingve had on the music scene. Yeah. You know, there was nobody in rock and roll history that played guitar like that. Not even close. I mean, the closest no. would be maybe, maybe Uli. Yeah. Um, and I can definitely tell that Ingve got a bit of his sound from there, for sure, whether he wants yeah. to admit it or not, you know. No, exactly. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, I had never heard scales used like that and, and arpeggios and the speed and, and, and whatnot. And I'd started listening to classical music because of Randy Rhodes. And then when the Yngwie came out, I really dug deep into it and, and discovered Paganini and, and the whole classical thing. But, you know, so Randy, Yngwie, and then I discovered Steve Vai, 
first uh, guitar player magazine years ago used to have this thing called the sound page. And uh, Steve Vai used to be the transcriber for it. And they would feature a track off somebody's new album every month. And then Vai would tab it out. And the first song that they tabbed out was the Attitude song. Okay. From Flexible. And yep. that's the first thing I heard by Vi. I pop on this little floppy record and you had a stick of nickel on it to hold it so it doesn't spin around and wrong and whatnot. And the Attitude song came on and it was instantly hooked. You know, so Ingve and Vi and Rhodes and then the whole shrapnel catalog for real. You know, Jason Becker, Marty Friedman, Paul Gilbert. Paul Gilbert, uh, Paul Gilbert, Ingve and Jason Becker were my three biggest influences in my early years, aside from Rhodes. Um, and then later it became, you know, Sean Lane, you know, oh. Sean Lane fan, Holtzberg, yeah. obviously, Demiola. Yeah. Has been into Strunz and Farah and, you know, just just all over the board, you know. Um, I've always listened to everything, you know, so I've always been very widely influenced. And I think that's an important thing for people to understand, you know. Yeah. Um, if you just listen to one thing, that's what you're going to end up sounding like. If you're a metal guitar player and you just listen to metal guitar players, well, guess what you're going to sound like? Yeah. You know, it's the, the true innovators that go outside their their style or their their genre of music whatever direction you choose to go if you listen to a little bit of this you know jazz blues funk gospel fusion whatever and then you channel that all into what you do then you, you have much more likelihood to produce something that's new and unique instead of just rehashing the same old thing yeah. so we're in the same age bracket and yeah. uh i'm gonna ask you a unique question i don't think you've probably been asked this before but okay. uh you know all those instructional videos from the 80s Okay. I had one that, uh, you know, my first guitar teacher, he was quite a good guitar. I tried to teach myself for years and I sucked. Yeah. It just never, but he lent me a video one time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and I, it was like a really pivotal moment for me and, uh, I'm not going to mention it yet, but I want to ask if, if any of those instructional videos, if you ever got, and if you ever got those moments where you're like, Oh my God, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. what the F? Sure. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Um, trying to think if I was still in high school. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think so. Yeah. Um, Intense Rock One by Paul Gilbert. Yeah, that was a good one. That, that video came out right when I needed it. Yeah. I, I had my playing was taken off and it was doing really good. And I needed that little extra thing to just push it over the edge. And that was the that was it. I mean, I, I learned every lick off that video inside and out. And then and then every video that followed, you know, from yeah. Vinnie Moore's and and I, I, I was into all of them. Gimbali was a big influence on yeah. me as a player, but not only as a player, but as his instructional stuff too. Yeah. You know I mean, I was thinking about this earlier. Um, you know, the majority of my theory does not come from listening to rock and roll guitar players. I mean, I learned, I initially learned theory from Metal Method, Doug Marks, because that's where yeah, I, I remember Doug. Yeah. I'm self-educated. I, I tried taking lessons, but they wanted to, both teachers I had in the beginning which lasted a total of about, about a month and a half, wanted me to learn how to melt a book one and I was 15. It was oh, like, not going to happen. Yeah. So a friend of mine had been carrying a metal method ad around in his wallet. And I said, dude, if you're not going to use that, let me have it. And I started ordering all the metal method stuff. So initially I'd learned my theory from Doug Marks as a metal method. But, but beyond that, all of my knowledge of theory didn't come from rock and metal guitar players. It was like Don Mock and Scott Henderson, Frank Gambale, Mike Stern, and, um, you know, all those guys. Yeah. Um, they, they knew all the stuff. It's like, I never really wanted to be a fusion guitar player, but I wanted to know what they did so I could take that information and apply it to what I do. Yeah. yeah it makes it much more unique. So long answer, but yeah, Paul Gilbert and Sense Rock One. Mine, I'll tell you mine, and you might be able to relate to it. I, I know uh, some other uh, well-known international guitar players. 
Mine for me was Michelangelo Badio, the Starlex one. Oh, yeah, I had that too. I remember watching that, and I'm just like, what yeah. is this? Uh, yeah. I was just mesmerized by his playing and everything he was doing. I was just, I know that kind of kicked up something in, in me, but yeah, that was sure. that video that I wore out. Sure, sure. I liked I liked that one too, man. Mine was Intense Rock 1. I think I'd already, I had already been through Intense Rock 1 when Badios came out. Yeah. But much later. Um, but yeah, that one's good. I don't know if, if you know any history about that video or not, but do you know what amp he was playing through on that video? Uh, Michelangelo? Was it, it, yeah. was, it was Marshall, wasn't it? Yeah, but it was a little tiny practice amp. They got there and they couldn't set his rig up right or something like that. And he ended up doing that whole video on it, like a little Marshall... I didn't know that. <laughs> something like 110 or something like that. Wow. You know? That's yeah. what he's used in the entire video. Wow, that's amazing. Most guitar players would have crumbled. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I he's... played through that. Are you kidding? Yeah. yeah. And then you showed, it showed him playing live, and he had this weird robe yeah. on, and he was just, yeah. he was just yeah, like yeah, going, yeah, yeah. what yeah, the hell white, is this? The, the white thing along with the <laughs> yeah. tails and stuff, yeah. And you're just sitting there going, what the... Um, I noticed something in the 80s, though. I don't know if you did. Maybe I'm crazy. Uh, you know, people have said that I am crazy. But uh, people didn't mention about metronomes much in the 80s. You know, you'd buy some of those videos, and they'd be like, okay, get it up to speed, and we'll see you next time. You're kind of like... Yeah. It was my first guitar instructor that said, no, we're going to get you some technique, and this is how we're going to do it. But did you find that in the 80s a little bit, too? or? Um, well, here's my thing, man. Um, somebody told me I needed to get a metronome one time, and uh, I was at a level in my playing when I was still pretty young. And I didn't know about note subdivision. So I played everything to the click and went, okay, got it, chunk. <laughs> okay. And that was the last time I used a metronome. Yeah. Um, you know, by the time I figured out that there's note subdivisions and all that stuff, uh, you could play two notes over one click or three nerves or, you know, yeah. you know um, the whole thing. By then, I already had been using a method um, that Doug Marks had mentioned in his lessons. And that's, to, I, I practiced everything for five minutes a piece using a timer. Okay. And that's that's still how I practice to this day. Um, I always thought that a metronome was for things that were rhythmically challenging. I didn't know it was a speed development tool. Okay. I had no idea when I was that young. Um, like I said, by the time I figured it out, the other method was already working really good for me. And I tried using metronomes before. You know, obviously, if you're in the studio, you're playing to a click, or if you're playing with a drum machine, it's much more interesting than playing to a click. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I tried using them, and I feel like I'm spending more time fidgeting around with the dial. And we tried at this tempo, and we played at this tempo, and it's start, stop, start, stop. It's just like when you practice using the timer method, you're practicing each example five minutes un, uninterrupted, nonstop. And the yeah. the objective is like this: if you if you sit down and you say, okay, I got my practice schedule out, and I'm going to practice 20 alternate picking licks. That's five minutes a piece. Okay, mm -hmm. that's five minutes a piece, nonstop, back to back. Okay. Now the objective during each five minute interval is not to play as fast as you can for five minutes, it's to play five minutes nonstop. Yeah. Okay. And it's almost like being on a treadmill cycle, you know, and you, but you have to monitor it yourself. Um, when you're on a treadmill cycle, it'll, it'll walk you through it. So you, it might go something like this. You start off walking, you go to fast walking, then you're jogging, then you're sprinting, then you're jogging, you're fast walking, and it cycles you through it. And you know, I mean, and when you're doing it, when you're as a guitar player, when you're practicing with the timer, you have to kind of gauge it yourself. You know what I mean? So I'll start off slow and kind of, you know, make sure my right and left hand technique is form and form is correct. And, and I'll start to build up. But at some point during each five minute interval, um, I'm going to establish my fastest clean speed. Okay. And when I establish my fastest clean speed, I'm going to start to push it till it breaks up. 
right? When it starts breaking up, then I reel it back into my fastest clean speed and then I start pushing it again. So okay. you're doing this at, at some point in, in this five minute interval, you're, you're doing this pushing and pulling it what you're physically able to do. Okay, now the objective with the timer is, and now let me be really clear on this because I've been misunderstood on this so many times. The objective is not to try to play as fast as you can for five minutes. That's never the objective. It's five minutes of nonstop repetition. You try to play as fast as you can for five minutes and you're going to blow your arm out in less than a minute. Yeah, probably, you know what I mean? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, I've never, I've never done that. So I don't know, you know, because yeah. that's never been the objective. It's just, it's the nonstop repetition. So now if I'm practicing something and it's 16th notes or eighth notes or quarter notes or whatever, I don't need a metronome to know if I'm on time or not. You know what okay. I mean? So I don't need it for that. I realize that when you're using a metronome for speed development, you're using it to make sure you're on the click and you're, you know, you're right on the money. Uh, for timing purposes but like in general i know what a triplet sounds like or 16th note triplet or, or whatever so for me that's not a rhythmically challenging thing mm -hmm. which is what i always thought metronomes were for like if you're going to play attempt to play some frank zappa or some you know some crazy rhythmic stuff you know what i mean yeah. changing time signatures or a data date to a 16th note rest to a triplet to you know crazy stuff rhythmic you know that's what i thought it was for well, now I'm much wiser and I know what it is for other things, but yeah, that's and, I, and I don't, and I'm not discouraging anyone from practicing with a metronome by all means, continue to use it. It's a very, yeah. very valuable tool. It cannot hurt your plane in any way, but yeah. if you decide to use the five minute method, don't use the timer when you're doing it because it's counterproductive, but this is, you can't stop. It's hmm. just nonstop. Okay. Um, and it's worked for me so far. So. Yeah, I think you're onto something there, Rusty, with your technique. Call me uh, crazy, but uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I never heard of that before. Yeah, uh, even Petrucci was, I got Petrucci using one. He was using the head in his backstage rig for a while. And was he, like, he probably never heard of it either? He was probably no, like, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I, I had my period where I really pushed my technique really hard, but I had, uh, uh, how do I explain this? Five or six exercises, two notes per string, three notes per string, four notes per string. But I'd also be changing the, um, I try and uh, change the note divisions. Sometimes mm -hmm. I would do one exercise and say, okay, now we're going to do it as a triplet. Now we're going to do it as a 16th note, mm -hmm. uh, quintuplet, sextuplet, septuplet. Like, and sometimes I'll mess with my more advanced students with that. I'll say, okay, cool. That's great. Now we're going to just change the note division. They're like, what? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so I'll do stuff kind of like that, but instead of changing the note uh, subdivision, I'll change the note groupings. Um, for example, I'll go from fives to sevens. You know what I mean? Um, or a 12 or a six or a four. Very you know? Sean Lane, by the way. Yeah, very much yeah. so. Um, yeah. That's where I got the ideas from. But ironically, I was doing some of this stuff, like I was doing sevens before I'd ever heard Sean Lane. I didn't even know I was doing sevens when I was doing it. It was a sequence that I came up with when I was yeah. younger. And then later on when I analyzed it, it was like, oh, that's seven notes per grouping or whatever. Yeah. But this, the thing is cool about sevens and fives is that when you, you can do a seven that starts on your pinky yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or you can do a seven that starts on your index finger. Then when you do fives, when I started first started doing fives, I didn't like fives because you end on the same finger you start with. So I devised a way to get around that. It's when you do fives, your first five starts on the pinky, the next five starts on your index finger. So it's constantly flip-flopping. So the listener's getting hit with a barrage of notes coming from every direction. Right? Okay. So if you mix fives and sevens, both types of fives, both types of sevens, you can get a you know, a sequence that seems like it's never ending because I might do a five into a seven into another five into another seven. That's four different sequences that, and I haven't repeated anything yet, mm -hmm. right? And then you can add a six to that. You can add a four to it. And then you get, you know, because I'm kind of on this kick right now where I want to develop sequences that never repeat themselves. They keep changing constantly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's pretty cool. 
You know, it's funny, when I was younger, my mother used to say to me, well, the same part of the brain that opens up for music, it opens up for math. And I'm like, it's still it's never open up for math. Yeah, me neither, dude. <laughs> you know, and I think that's when I was younger, when I took theory, like in high school and stuff, I did really well at the harmony side. But when I started talking about math and it, I mean, music, like time signatures and counting and just yeah. like, I didn't get it, man. You know, I, I had a very uh, traumatic experience with a music teacher when I was in grade four. Very, very, very bad. And it really affected me for the rest of school and into high school. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I just, went, there was a wall. I just could not accept how they taught music in school. Mm -hmm. My first teacher came along and he really had a different way and he opened me up to theory and all that stuff. But, um, you know, we have lots to talk about too as, as being a teacher. Um, so for me, when I teach people, even if it's a short-term relationship, they take lessons for a month or two. I don't really teach kids anymore, but uh, you know, I always found it was important to make sure that their first exposure to lessons was fun, because yeah. if it's not fun, they'll end up hating the instrument and never. Sure. And I've had a lot of those students come back a few years later when they're older and they're more serious about it. But uh, uh, I think you get what I'm talking about with that too. You want yeah. to make the, sure their first experience is as fun as you can make it. Sure, man. I, I had a, a really bad experience with a music teacher in school uh, as well. And this was before I was playing guitar. I think it was maybe in seventh, sixth or seventh grade. And I had to take a music appreciation class or something like that. And I don't know, something came up and it just got really ugly. And uh, uh, it like made, ended up making me cry in class and shit like that. You know what I mean? oh, yeah. Yeah. And if you would have asked me then if I thought I'd ever play guitar or an instrument, I would have said, are you crazy? Get yeah. me out of here. No, you know, exactly. a couple years later, I started playing guitar, but, um, you know, that directly affected me. And, and also the education system in school has greatly affected the way I teach as a guitar teacher, because when I was in school, you know, school will teach things one way. And if you don't happen to learn that way, then you get labeled and as such and put in different classes and all that kind of stuff. So as a guitar instructor, I've made it a point to be able to teach the same thing several different ways Yeah. because not everybody learns the same way. So, um, you know, hopefully that helps. Uh, students in music have not experienced what I experienced in regular school. Yeah. So I have a big question for you. Okay. Sure. You're a guitar teacher, obviously. Um, do you teach to live or do you live to teach? Um, uh, I definitely the, I, what was the second one? Uh, do you live to teach? Meaning, I love teaching guitar. I'm very selective now of who yeah. I'll accept for lessons, mm -hmm. but I love it's, you know, oh, yeah. I, I used to laugh at the guys in bands when I play with them and they'd have no money and laugh at me. Oh, those who can't teach. It's like, well, I'm putting money in my bank account every week. Are you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I'm with you, man. I love to teach. Um, it's not, I don't, you know, it's not because I have to, you yeah. know what I mean? I teach because I want to, no matter what happens with my career, I will always make time to teach. I enjoy it. it keeps you sharp too man exactly you know because there's a lot of so, there's a lot of bad teachers out there and I oh think man that, man look at youtube yeah <laughs> uh, i mean should I, we go yeah. there rusty should we yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, that yeah, yeah yeah no i mean i i tell you this i'll get students that try to learn on youtube mm -hmm. because when you're a beginner or even intermediate player guitar players have a tendency to think that if a guitar player is better than them that they know what they're doing is correct yeah and they could just be a few pages ahead of them yeah right and that's not the case there's been many, 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 many occasions where I have to spend six months to a year correcting all the things that they learned wrong off of YouTube or from another local teacher that just shouldn't uh, be teaching. It's amazing the, um, you know, who they let teach. Just any kid, you know. You know, I've had that. Uh, now, guys, you know, Rusty's got a great YouTube channel, a lot of great stuff there. I'd encourage everyone to go check it out. 
um, you know, you're watching us on YouTube. YouTube's a great, wonderful thing, and it's a great resource. But, you know, speaking as a longtime guitar teacher, I've had people, uh, I'm sure Rusty and I could go into very detailed conversations about this, but I've had people say to me, well, okay, you know, first warning signs when you have someone call and all they care about is the cost. Because for me, right. if, if you're going to be nickel and dimed over five bucks, and it's like, I've got, you know, 30 years plus of playing and teaching and like, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've had people say, well, I'll just learn off of YouTube. I'm like, okay, take care of all the best. You know, I'm polite. Yeah. Usually they'll call me back within a year and say, yeah, okay, I'm ready to start now. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and let me also say that I'm not bagging on YouTube in any way, shape, no. or form. What I'm saying is that beginning and intermediate guitar players, people that don't know, you don't know what you don't know. So, yeah. you know, it's easy to see somebody play and go, okay, this guy's great. Let's do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to know a little bit to know who to watch. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you know who to watch, then you, there's a lot of great stuff out there. But when you don't, there's a lot of bad stuff too. Yeah. You know what I mean? So just be careful and be be wise and make sure you do the research on who you're watching. You know, yeah. don't just blindly watch somebody and think that they're great. Um, you know, because, you know, in a year or two, you might realize that they weren't as great as you thought they were as you develop. You know what I mean? So just be careful, you know. You know, one of the things too, since we're on the topic as a guitar teacher, um, one of the things that used to really frustrate me is when people would come take lessons from me, they're paying for lessons. You know, I, I have a good track record of teaching in my region. Um, and there'd always be someone, either a family member or they have, you know, I always call it the Uncle Jed syndrome. They have an Uncle Jed who knows three chords and he's trying to teach them over mm -hmm. me and he's confusing yeah. them and they're not doing. Uh, so then I'll get to, you know, I'll get to the point. I'll say, look, like you're paying me for lessons. I really need you to work on what I'm showing you. Yeah. Or you'd always hear, but they'd have this, uncle or brother that's oh he's better than you he's i don't know if you hear that very often but yeah. and then you see them play and go oh my god are they on crack what are they talking yeah, right, about yeah. <laughs> yeah you definitely i've definitely i think i've probably experienced just about everything you can experience as a yeah. teacher you know i've been teaching guitar since i was a senior in high school so as you know my age that's been a very long time yeah <laughs> so yeah um you know and then you get this you know well, why does little Timmy need a virtuoso guitar teacher? It's like, well, you know, little Timmy doesn't. You can go over here and take from this guy cheaper, and then when you outgrow him, you can bring him to me if he if he makes it that long, and yeah. and then I'll spend a year fixing all of the mistakes and exactly. corrections. I mean, you get what you pay for. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's the bottom line right there, man. You get what you pay for. You no, know, exactly. if you were doing something and you're serious about it, you know, it's it's a worthy investment. How much are you willing to invest into yourself? And for me, you know, when you were, when we were talking off the air earlier and we did the yeah. Brock Lesnar thing, it's like when I was a kid, if I had the opportunity to study with Ingve Malmsteen or Paul Gilbert, I would have been, hell yeah. I'm not the guy that's going to be, oh, I could never do that. You know, I'm going to be, yeah, dude, I'll take every minute of your time that you give me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was always inspired and that was my motivation. Yeah. You know what I mean? That wasn't my discouragement or fear or um, I could never do that. You know what I mean? You know. Or, or I, I never went into it thinking I have to be good enough to do this or that, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's always like, let's do it, man. Were you ever tempted? A... Were you ever tempted to go to GIT? Oh yeah, man. I wanted to go to GIT big time. My folks just couldn't afford it. Yeah. You know, and I had a scholarship from school to go anywhere in Texas, and I just, man, I didn't want. I didn't want to do it, man. I, I tried. I went for a few semesters, but I was done with school. I wanted to go do music. I didn't want to have to do math still in English and history and all that crap so yeah. I tried it for a couple semesters but but no I wasn't able to go I mean you know I didn't finish because I at the time I was teaching guitar at two guitar shops I was working at a record store um two days a week and then I was uh going taking 12 hours of college 
playing in a band five nights a week. Not playing out live, we're rehearsing and stuff and, and, do, and beginning to perform. And so I had so much on my plate and I, I just got burnt out and I had to make the decision, what do I really want to do with my life? Well, it's like, well, I'm going to play guitar and I'm going to teach. So yeah. I quit school, quit the record store, took all my students, consolidated them to one guitar shop and the rest is history. Yeah. You know? So I got to ask you the great theory debate. I was on... Uh, an Instagram of a, of, of a very popular YouTube uh, guitar teacher. Um, and people were just saying, oh, theory's stupid. Yeah, you don't need it. I couldn't believe it. I'm sitting there like hundreds of comments. And I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. Like, it would always amaze me. It's like, really? I had an embarrassing situation in my very first band. I was a rhythm guitar player, and that's insulting rhythm players. Um, mm. the, the lead player was quite good. And he said, oh, can you play the C sharp on the A string? And I'm like, what's a C sharp? Where is that? <laughs> Yeah. You know, or, you know, like, oh, can you play that minor seventh chord? And, the, you know, the 10th position. I'm like, what if, yeah. what's a minor? Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to know? Like, I don't understand what the big deal is. Like, most of the guitar players, they can't even name the chromatic scale on the guitar. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just kind of, it's it's really kind of weird to me. You know, to me, not knowing theory is a frightening, terrifying thing. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, getting dropped off in, in pitch black night out in the middle of nowhere and, and just saying, okay, go, find your way home. I mean, you know, maybe you get eaten by wolves or starved to death trying to find your way home. Yeah. But if you had a flashlight and some GPS, you get there a hell of a lot quicker, you know, or something, yeah. you know. It's just like, I can't imagine not knowing, you know. No, exactly. I've always, you know, when you know theory, and it's not like you know, I mean, theory is infinite too. It's it's never really ending. And, uh, you know, it just, it, it sets you up so that you know what you're going to do. When you go to, a, you know, when I was younger, you go to an open mic or, and see these guys playing and you get up there and you watch these guys take the first eight to 12 bars to figure out where they're at and what key and stuff like that. And it's like, all I got to do is ask, you know, what, you know, it's an A, whatever, you know, go. You're yeah. good. And yeah. a friend of mine used to play in this cover band that was really popular and, and, and they were drawing all the big crowds and stuff. And I'd go up and hang out and they would always call me up on stage to do a solo on one of the songs or something like that. And he would just throw me the guitar mid song and tell me what key it was in. And it was, go for it away you go yeah exactly yeah yeah man you and you know you know what the possibilities are and as you learn more you learn there's more possibilities not knowing theory you usually end up in one place you find one thing that works and you don't realize that there are many other things that work also yeah you know what i mean it's like uh man i just can't imagine not knowing it no exactly um so i wanted to ask you too uh did you ever have a dream gig or like a have you ever been asked to do an audition for a bigger band or is that something you've ever wanted to do? Oh yeah, man. I've been asked to, I was up for the audition for Guns N' Roses, um, years ago. Um, I didn't, I didn't know that. that. Yeah. I was up for uh, Guns N' Roses. Um, I didn't do that because Outworld was about to put out our first album Yeah. and, uh, I couldn't see myself playing unless Paul wearing a top hat. So <laughs> it wasn't my thing. Um, yeah. one of the other biggest uh, opportunities that I had was uh, Megadeth. Um, he goes in there now. Um, I turned that gig down as well. Um, uh, my daughter had moved in with me after me and my ex-wife had been divorced for about four years and she had just moved in when that opportunity came up. And at first I was going to do it. And um, then I started thinking about it and I, I turned it down because it's like, you know, my daughter just moved in. She's going to have to move back home. I'm going to, you know, she was turning 16 and I was going to do a little driver's ed thing. And, and, you know, and there, there's a, short-term expectancy in Megadeth, you yeah. know, most guitar players are only there a few years or a few albums. Yeah. And, um, you know, 
it would have been a great gig. I mean, I would have loved playing with him for sure. Yeah. You know? But um, it just wasn't worth it for me in the long run. Yeah. And also, again, I had David Elson on a couple of months ago. We had a great interview yeah. and discussion here. But the thing, and we talked about this too, and I always have these, my theories about why certain bands don't work out and there's different band personality types. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I was like the type A driven and I, I'm pretty sure that you're that type, you're yeah. type A too. You like to get it done. You like to, so sometimes when you have multiple personality types, you know, if you have the passive one and you have the, you know, then you have the resistor, no matter what you do, there's that mm -hmm. guy that he's just going to resist and be difficult with everything. Yeah. I, I used to, I had a, did video, a video about this a while ago, but if, if you join a band that's run by a very strong type A personality, mm. could you as a very strong type A personality, how long is that going to work before? Well, it's, it's going to work if, if I know what my role is. If I'm joining yeah. a band, I mean, let's be honest, nobody's really in Ozzy or nobody's really in Megadeth except for Dave's. And Dave is Megadeth, Ozzy's Ozzy. Yeah. But else, they're just hired guns. So yeah. when you go into a gig like that, you if you don't already get it, then you're going to be in for a rude awakening. Yeah. You know what I mean? um, but if I'm joining a band to be a member of this band and, you know, a real member of the band, you know what I mean? Then, then that's, that's, you know, you guys will have to work that shit out. You know, for sure. No, absolutely. You know I mean, um, it's different. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, look at like Roger Waters and, and David Gilmore, you know, they, they battled all the time and um, there's lots of other big bands that had inner squabbling with Van Halen with David Lee Roth and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I'm pretty easy to work with as long as everybody understands each other, you know, yeah. you know, when I've had guys that have joined my, ba my band on different occasions where they get in a band and then want to change it. And it's like, well, you listened to all the music in advance. You agreed, you came out and auditioned and played the band and you agreed that you wanted to do this. Yeah. You didn't, you know, we're not changing now that you're in the band. This is what we're doing, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I never could understand that. It's like, okay, let's change this. Where I had a guy, you know, we had a bass player and a drummer that was having a hard time with some stuff. And the singer came to me like, why don't we just like, you know, write simpler stuff. And I'm like thinking, let's dumb it down to their level. <laughs> but you, no, man, you, you play at my level. You know, I yeah. had people call up when I was in Outworld, we were auditioning drummers. I get a call from this guy saying, yeah, man, I think I'd like to learn to play some double bass, you know? And I'm like, this is not on the job training, man. Yeah. You know, I got a drum set out in the garage, got to dust it off. Yeah. You know, it's like, come on, man, you either can come in and step up to the bat and, and, and hit yeah. it or you can't, you know, we're not, this is not time to learn, Yeah. you know? Um, I've, man, yeah, dude. <laughs> we won't even go there, but to me, I, was, I often use this analogy. A band is often like a relationship. In the beginning, oh, yeah. it's great. People tell you what you want to hear to get things going, yeah. but then once things get going and people get comfortable, yeah. then you start to see how they really are. Oh yeah, for sure, man. And in, in, in my experience, I mean, first of all, everybody has their own personalities. And, and I've always been the type that says, you know, you know, I don't care what you do outside of the band, you know, go live your life, do your thing. But when you walk through the door for rehearsal, leave that baggage outside. Yeah. And while you're here for the two hours or whatever rehearsal night, then make sure that you're here and present. Yeah. You know? And when you leave, you can pick up your baggage on the outside and take it with you. Right. Don't leave your trash here. <laughs> yeah. But um, the other thing, uh, what was I going to say? Um, the other thing that I've come to realize uh, is that it's always the people in your band that feel the need to constantly profess how much they're there and they got your back and we're here to win it and make it. You know, they're the ones you got to watch out for. Those are the ones that are going to leave the, the first sign of trouble. As soon yeah. as it gets tough, those are the ones that always bail. 
Yeah. You know, it's if you if somebody's got to constantly reassure you how much they're in in it. You know. Yeah, it's kind of like when you go into a bar. It's the loudmouth that's always yapping and everything. You don't have to worry about him. If a fight breaks out, it's the quiet guys you got to worry about. Yeah. yeah for sure. For sure. So one more question about te- uh, one more question about teaching. I really want to know uh, what you thought of this. What is the hardest thing or to explain for you to teach to a student? For me, it's sweep picking. Man, the hardest thing for me to teach is bending and vibrato. Okay, well, yeah, that's there too. Yeah, because it's it's just like there's so the mechanics in it are so weird compared to everything else. It's like yeah. you spend time teaching a student that you got to hold your hand, you know, you know, proper and stuff, and and then all of a sudden it's like the complete opposite of that. Yeah. You know, there's two types of forms that you have to use when you play guitar. You have the form that you use in open position where you can wrap your thumb around the neck and play with your hand in its most relaxed state, right? Because yeah. you know, I tell people, it's like, okay, what does your hand look like when it's in its most relaxed state? Well, your fingers are curled in. Yeah. Your hand's not relaxed like this, right? So if in open position, we can play this way and still get all the notes to come out clear, why would you not want to have your hand in its most relaxed positioning? The least amount of effort that you exert, the better, right? Yeah. But this is, this is limited to open position. You get out of open position, you got to play power chords, bar chords, bigger chords. Then you've got to get more into the classical form. You yeah. got to get this, you got to get the thumb back and all that stuff. So you've got to learn how to go in between open position chord, right? And then scales playing and, and bar chords or bigger chords. And then when you get into soloing, it's you have bending and vibrato. It's back to the hand thing. Your hand is stronger than any one of your fingers. I vibrato with my hand, not my fingers. So yeah. it's like when you're bending towards the floor, it's like you use your index finger kind of like a fulcrum or a pulley against the bottom of the neck, you got to pry it downward. It's much yeah. easier to teach a down bend than it is an up bend. Because okay. when you bend, you don't move any of the joints in your fingers. The bend is always with the hand. It's like turning a door handle, you know, exactly. the door, right? Yeah. So if I got my finger on this note and I'm going to bend it, I'm going to turn my wrist without moving my fingers. As soon as my student does that, his, his fingers move, don't move with his hand. So it's like, okay, make your hand a mitten, right? Yeah. Your fingers now do not move. None of the joints in your fingers can move. They're all like locked. You have to turn your, you know what I mean? Um, it's just been one of the most difficult things to teach is bending, man. Wow. Vibrato is a little sense. bit easier, yeah. but, but bending, it's like, there's no real good way or diagram, you know, to explain the mechanics of what's going on with the hand. Um, yeah. Often I'll get people, that, when sometimes I'll get people that inquire for lessons and say, Hey man, just show me some of that crazy stuff you do. Help me get to the next level. And they'll come in and I'll watch them play. I will hook them up to an inline tuner. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, and I'll show them their intonation. Like, you know, I'll, I'll hear all these deficiencies, bending vibrato and their intonation. Yeah. And I'll say, okay, you're pressing too hard. But yeah, but man, but show me some of that sweeping stuff that you do. I'm like, dude, I, yeah. I can do that. But if we just get your intonation better, you're already mm-hmm. going to go to a next level. So yeah. it's kind of funny when you say, I like to hook people into an inline tuner. Yeah. Uh, and to say for Bren's vibrato, if they're struggling with their bends, yeah. we do ear exercises. But uh, yeah. that's, uh, that's really cool. I wanted to ask you too. Yeah. Uh, switching you don't mind i was going to elaborate on that a little bit you know like with bending i'll have them sometimes put their clip-on tuners on yeah just watch it right or or you just play okay if we're going to bend a whole step and you're going to bend the d on the third string up to e play the note e first get that in your ear real good you know yeah we do that too yeah and bend up to it you know practice then and then practice doing that randomly quickly grab a note anywhere and then bend to it you know keep moving just random notes um yeah that's a good way to do it and half step bends and whole step and you know so yeah, uh, I got I got I got to ask you about gear. Okay, so mm-hmm. I had my I had my time twenty years ago where I had the rack effects hooked up with the MIDI cables and I program everything and 
this is me, and I'm not saying, uh, you know, keeping in mind, I've been in clubs, I've played to drunk people, I've had drunk people spill beer on stuff, step on the adapter plugins. I'm not a big gear guy anymore. I have a, I have an Eventide H9. I, I, I bought a year ago. I still haven't learned how to, I've unboxed it. That's progress. So I haven't learned how to use it. I'm like yeah. a good amp, a good guitar and a few pedals in my fingers. That's kind of where yeah. I'm at now. What I know you've kind of experimented with a lot of different stuff. Like yeah. how, what's your overall feeling if someone came to you about that? Well, my rig has evolved and 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 devolved and etc i mean when i was in outworld i used to play with six four twelves and i ran uh holy jeez yeah i ran six four twelves even at rehearsal you know um six four twelves and i had i ran a rocktron prophecy preamp initially into a vht 292 power amp that went into four cabs and then i had a radial engineering uh switchbone at the end of my pedal board that it went out the other output went into a Wagner Ubershaw into two, two four twelves, and then I can blended the two together, and then um, I had a Bradshaw switching system, and I had that for a very short time because I got the Bradshaw system, and a friend of mine had to wire it up for me, and this thing was so complex that I looked at the back of it and went about after a week, and I went, if I get out on the road and something goes down, I'm not going to know what to do, so I, I took it all apart. Bingo! Yeah. What I did was then, then I took all my presets because I never could figure out how to do MIDI switching so i took all my presets and just copied them through one through 15. so i had one two three four you know i didn't have to program them as a midi change okay. so like if i hit one it didn't go to 70 and if you hit two it didn't go to 20. i just put all those patches right in a line i just copied yeah. them over so i didn't so my my pedal board my midi pedal board would be right there and i had one of those big ones that rocktron made it had like you know so i could have up to 15 per bank so i didn't yeah. have to bank up or down i never wanted to do any banking during a set either Okay. You know what I mean? So I put them all, made it real simple. Yeah. And I had my pedal board, you know, at the time when I had the big rig consisted of like a, a Morley switchless wah, uh, OD808, Maxon, which is still pretty much a mainstay, maybe a flanger. Um, my prophecy had all the effects in it. My Ubershaw always went dry and my prophecy had all the effects built into it. Um, you know, so I didn't have to have a bunch of pedals. Um, and then when I went from Outworld to Day of Reckoning, I tried to downsize. So I went to two four two four twelves and two two twelves and two heads. I got rid of the the preamps and stuff like that. I tried using Axe Effects and all that stuff, and I just couldn't get I couldn't get it to not sound digital. Yeah. And uh, so I went to um, two heads, and and, they, and these heads kind of switched out any, anywhere from an Ubershaw and a sixty five hundred five plus to a Splon Nitro. Um, what else was I using at the time? 60 yeah i said a 6505 plus ubershaw there was different heads that would you know kind of make the rotation and each head would get a 412 and a 212 and you know and i thought okay well i'm gonna get a pedal board and just make it real simple well the, going to a pedal board after having rack stuff makes it more complex in a way because now i had all of these you know i had all these adapters that i had to hook up and I had all these cables some of the pedals went to the effects loop some pedals went to the front of the amp it's like oh my god this is such a headache yeah. It was worse than having the big racks. So I found a solution to the problem. There's a company called Pedal Snake. And Pedal Snake is a great company. They will make all your problems go away. I have a pedal board <laughs> now, right? And I on my pedal board, now my pedal board's pretty it's it's about like this big. It's got a it's got like a, a tuner on the front and it goes into a wah. Then I got my Maxon 808. Um, I've got a boost pedal, got a delay pedal. Um flanger chorus maybe something else i don't know and then it all goes into the uh 
so the switchbone at the end made by radial engineering and that goes one signal goes into one head and one signal goes in the other head i don't ever a b them it's both heads are on at all times yeah it's the sound combined of the differences that make my overall sound um but coming out of my pedal board right is one cable there you go you know i don't have i don't have my guitar plugging into my pedal board and then two cables running out to two different heads and then two more cables running to the effects loop of one head and two more cables running to the effects loop of the other head and then all my adapters and then another cable running out i mean it was it took me like an hour to set up a sound check before i had the pedal snake with the pedal snake it's roll everything in set it up plug in a couple cables and you're done and then you have time to relax and just chill oh out yeah man do some yeah stuff i mean that... it, it, the guys loved it when i got that pedal snake thing man yeah did you ever a... see uh did you ever see vernon reed's uh pedal setup that uh, they did on Dude, no, you gotta check that out sometime. Um, now, now, now. Okay, so I got, I got the, I have a Kemper now that I got right in in COVID. Yeah. So, but I have yet to get to play the Kemper with Dave Reckoning, uh, my current band. And for me, everything has to pass the rehearsal room test. Every piece of gear, every amp, guitar, pickup. If it doesn't pass the rehearsal room test, it's never gonna make it to the stage. Because what things when Things do not sound the same at home at a practice level volume as they do when they're cranked up loud. Yeah. You know, I learned about I learned about how to hear the tone of woods, the sound of pickups, and things like that all through experiencing it loud. I could sit at home all day long and play on different guitars with different pickups at a practice level, and they all relatively sound similar. But you go to rehearsal and crank it up loud through some four twelves, and it's like totally different. I mean, the first experience I had with that was. Um, in my younger days, when I first started playing seven string, I had three Ibanez seven universes. Two of them were universes, and one was an RG seven. And and I won't mention. Well, I guess I can mention. It doesn't matter. I had a Seymour Duncan endorsement at the time, and I can edit out whatever you want. Yeah, for about a <clears throat> month, I had noticed that when I'd go to rehearsal, I didn't like the sound of my guitars anymore. And um, <clears throat> and I, I was thinking, oh man, I got to get a new amp this or that. I wasn't putting it together because at home they all sounded, the guitars all sounded great, but I went to rehearsal and cranked it up and something was weird with my tone. So one night I went to rehearsal and both my universes with the Duncans uh, went, broke strings and I had to drive home real quick and get my, my RG and it had an EMG 707 in the bridge. Okay. When I got to rehearsal and plugged it in, it was like, there's my tone, you know? And this, and you got to remember, this was in the beginning of, of seven string, when, you know what I mean? We're talking like 97, think yes yeah. yeah i think i got my first seven and string in 96 but so there weren't very many selections for pickups okay it's not like it is today i mean i've since played duncan since then like the blackouts and they they're pretty killer uh, i'm an emg guy for sure and i've been with emg forever um <clears throat> i've been with emg since then as a matter of fact i had to call up emg and get an endorsement with them you know which was an awkward thing because I was calling up Seymour Duncan the next day going, do you guys make anything that kind of sounds like this? Or, you know. <laughs> anyway, but, but that was my first experience in, in hearing yeah. the, the differences in pickups and how important was it to hear it loud. Yeah. My, my first real experience in hearing the difference in wood and tone of the guitar was with uh, when I had my first eight string built. It was a Conklin eight string and it was uh, the body was, uh, I think it was basswood. And then the top was a melted top is what they called it. And it was part the top part was uh, uh, lace wood, and then had a strip of wing, winch or wing gay, however you say it, going through the middle. The top was quilted maple, had an ebony fretboard, maple neck. And <clears throat> when I got this guitar, it was so bright. 
you know, I had no, I had no idea that I was picking this guitar with all these bright woods. They just looked cool. Yeah. Right. At home, it sounds good. You get to traversal, and it's, man, it's just high end. Yeah. I mean, it's. I ended up getting some EMGs in it because it didn't come with EMGs, and, and back then, EMG didn't even make eight string pickups, so they were eight, eight string bass pickups. Yeah. That were similar to these different seven string pickups. Um, but I ended up getting the guitar sounding really good. You can hear it on three songs on Outworld's first album. You can tell it's because when it sounds like I go to a whammy pedal or something, it's really that high A string. Okay. You know, my A string was high A to low B, not low F sharp. Okay. Right? And that was that, I got that guitar in 02, I think. So I've been playing eight strings since 02, um, even before the Meshuggah guys, but that's a different, they went lower. Yeah. That's, that's what inspired me to get a nine string guitar. When I, I restrung my eight string with a low F sharp one day, I was like, well, this is cool too. So I had Conklin make me a nine string guitar. It was high A to low F sharp. Yeah. Um, but the, it, it, was, it was so early on in the game, the technology wasn't really there and, and we couldn't do it. The fan would have been so great on it. There would have almost been sideways, you know, having high yeah. A. The high A side of the fretboard with the, uh, is 23.5 to 25.5. But then if you yeah. go to a, a low F sharp, you need longer. So 23.5 to 26.5 or 27, that fan's going to be nuts. Yeah. So the fan wasn't really there and, and nobody made, there was only one company that made it, uh, nine string pickups. And so I didn't, re it didn't really last. I, I, didn't, I didn't get in on it. No, I, yeah, gotcha. I, didn't, I didn't stick with it, but, so, but it's like, you know, those experiences are major experiences because I, when I was a kid, I heard people talk, and I'm sorry if I'm going on about this. No, 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 it's okay. It's important. It's like, you hear people talking about the difference in tones of wood and guitars and pickups and, and you know, and when I was younger, I didn't really hear it. I didn't understand how to hear it. But, you know, when put in the right situation, you definitely hear it. Yeah, um, for sure. And you, and you learn, man. It's, uh, it's a good learning experience to be able to actually begin to hear the difference in those sorts of things and know what to listen for. You so um, all the technique guys, I mean, I'm sure they want me to ask some questions. So sure. I remember my, my insane technique phase about 10 years ago you were a big inspiration for that but you yeah. had a quote yeah yeah no no man it's <laughs> just keeping it real um you had a quote i read in an interview you said do your do your was it a workout or practicing every day it's a lot of work but it's worth it and it's so true mm -hmm. and you know you know i got a lot on the go i got so much uh, you know for the most part my technique's good you know i just spent a month of every day about 45 minutes every day no matter what working with the metronome interested yeah. in this timer bit but yeah, um but um so a question i want well it's a couple of questions a question i want to ask you guys like like you ingve momstein uh you know uh michael romeo alex skolnick all these guys i'd yeah. like to say do you ever have a time where you just want to put the guitar down for a day for sure for sure <laughs> you, know? you know it, it happens um you know yeah i mean you gotta you gotta stop and, and breathe a little bit sometimes you know um there were times when I would practice every day. I mean, there was at a time I made it a goal to practice every day for a year. Yeah. You know I mean, most of the time something comes up and you, there's a day, there's got to bound to be one day in a year where you can't pick up the guitar. And I made it yeah. a whole year without putting it down. Wow. Um, at one point that was, that was in the early two thousands. Wow. Um, yeah. And it's, it's the, the, the funny thing about it now is that not so much about putting it down. It's like picking it up right yeah. it's like the older i've gotten i feel like i have less time to practice i did all my heavy practicing when i was younger and i was raising kids and i had little kids at home yeah during the day you know before they were even in school i was doing my practicing i was raising kids 
when Sebastian, my oldest son, was was like a baby, I was going to the post office three or four times a week because that's before you could email stuff to people, right? Yeah. So I'd be going to the post office three or four times a week, mailing cassettes, demos to to places with him on my wow. hip. You know what I mean? And then practicing and, and teaching and, you know, get up and practice, take care of my kids, go to work in the afternoon, teach three to three to eight, come home for about 30 minutes, turn around, go back out the door, get an hour of yeah. rehearsals, come home, do all the nighttime feedings with my kids. Cause my wife at the time had a day job, right? So yeah. she had to be in bed. So I was coming home from rehearsals. So I would stay up and do the, take care of the kids. And so she could rest. Um, yeah. So it was, it was busy and I was still practicing like a maniac now. Um, I, I think maybe some of it has to do with, you know, now that I'm, you know, more, I'm not married anymore. Um, it's me here in the house and I'm taking care of every single detail, you yeah. know, and that's, I think we talked about that a little we bit talked about too. It's like before, you know, all yeah. the responsibilities, uh, all the responsibilities. It, it seems like it's more than it was when I was just taking care of kids. When you got somebody else that can help you with half of the stuff, you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, well, so, I went through, then, uh, I went through, let me, crazy... you, let me ask you a question real quick, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is where you teach at, right? The room you're in now? Yeah. Okay, where, is, where do you practice at? Here, in the same room. Do you ever have a problem with that? No, no, I, I have my, uh, I, this is my old uh, Cubase setup. It works for me. Right. And I have right. my, my metronome that goes up to 400, by the way, Rusty. That's partly awesome. because of you. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I practice and I, you know, I, I, you know, we talked about this before we started recording, but, you know, I don't sit there with a metronome for two hours. Like you, you turn yeah. into a, a serial killer, right? Yeah. Uh, but you know, like I'll, you know, I'll put on some, I, I'm an MMA guy. Like I like watching mm -hmm. UFCs and stuff. I'll put on some old yeah. UFCs and I'll just go. Right. But uh, no, I've, I've never had a problem with that at all. See, I kind of, I kind of do. Cause it's like, after I've been in here all day teaching Skype lessons or, or, you know, I do, I do in-person lessons yeah. too. It's like, once I get done teaching and it's like nine 30 or sometimes 10 at night, then I got to, I got to get out of this room because I've been in here all day. You know, yeah. sometimes I might start at 1245 and then go till nine, nine 30 at night. Yeah. Then I got to find time to practice. And then I find when I come back in this room to practice, I'm still associating it with, with work. And, and I hate to call it teaching work because I yeah. love to do it, but it's, it's still, it is what it is, you know, no matter how much I love it. So then I come back in here and I have a hard time getting into the zone to practice. It's almost like, I feel like I need to have another room in my house this is where I'm creative. This is where I practice and do my thing. And then this is where I teach. Yeah. The problem with that is that I have to have a duplicate setup of everything. You know, um, I've even considered to doing what I, what worked the best for me and it's what I did when I was a kid, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't have a computer. We didn't have computers. It was me yeah. and my guitar in my bedroom with my books and a piece of paper and tab and, and pencil. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking about doing that. I got a whole rig set up in my bedroom. I got like a half stack in my bedroom with two heads on it and pedal board and shit. There you go and some acoustic guitars in there as well. And it's like, I'm, I think I'm gonna start trying to practice in there. And then if I need to record, I'll just hop up and come in here. That's just the, that's a little bit of the pain in it though, you know, cause I'm not already here. So yeah, I struggle with that, man. Some that's people stuff. have, I've heard of that though, Rusty. I've heard of some people, they, for me, that's never bothered me. I, but I get into my routine. I'm up at five, Monday to Friday. Yeah. We go to the gym, Yeah. come back, breakfast. And then I have my, half hour to an hour of me time guitar study yeah. practice metronome yeah. and then yeah. the morning it's admin uh, and then youtube time and then one in the afternoon i start teaching yeah dude when we i want to talk to you about that we can talk about that later before we yeah after i do my sign up yeah. we'll, we'll yeah. chat a bit yeah. there but uh, um so how long what's the longest stretch you've gone without touching a guitar oh man um 
I would have to say the longest stretch I might have gone without touching a guitar would maybe be on a vacation um, where I just couldn't take a guitar with me maybe a week, maybe. Okay. Okay. Well, it's still, it's kind of cool to know that. But uh, so. And that's, been, and that's been a long time because nowadays I don't take vacations. If I take a vacation, I take a staycation. Yeah. Because to me, going on vacation, you come home not rested. You know, because yeah. you've been on the go, you know, for yeah. me, vacation is like about recovering, you know, taking some time to breathe. Yeah. So if I got to pack up and go somewhere and then hurry back home and go right back to, you know, the grind, then I'm not, you know. Yeah. So I'm kind um, of a whole buddy. When you, so when you, uh, like, I don't sit there with my exercise routine. The longest I went when I was in this weird state was mm -hmm. eight months and I missed one day because I had the flu. Okay. okay. I, I had the metronome every day. Um, wow. Now, like I had a, a I thought you I, meant you went eight months without playing guitar. That's no, 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 no. Eight yeah, months yeah. of everyday metronome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two yeah. hours, but uh, so I had a stretch. I have I have a I have a training uh, diary. I treat it like going to the gym, of my oh, exercises, yeah. my metronome settings. August twenty fifth to October twenty first. Mm -hmm. Then I had uh, uh, I had a uh, broke a tooth, and I had you know mm -hmm. stuff happens in life. Right. If I go. I'm okay for a week or two. Like, how long do you notice like, it starts to slip a bit? Your technique, you're like, oh, okay, I got to get back and. I don't know, man. I've never in. gone. I've never gone that long. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where I've noticed something. I mean, I, I, I have been. You know, I don't know how much you would get into this, but I did have, and I'm still experiencing and going through a hand injury um, okay. that nobody's been able to diagnose. I've seen. Um, I went to the doctor that works with the Houston Symphony Orchestra. Um, I went to acupuncture, I went to uh, orthopedic surgeon, I went to um, another doctor that works with musicians and, um, you know, the, the, the doctor that works with the Houston Symphony Orchestra. So what happened was I started noticing that my ring finger was kind of not firing correctly. It was kind of like overshooting, undershooting, kind of missing, and it was just kind of weird. And I, I noticed, I started noticing this when I was still teaching at the music school, and I started taking my, a, a, a telly and a six string acoustic up there, both tuned to standard. My guitars are always tuned half step down. Sort of noticing that when I started playing the guitars in standard tuning, then I'd come home, pick up my seven strings and half step down and started feeling weird. You know, like that's when I started noticing something going wrong with my hand. So in my mind, that's where something started to change. But the doctors, all the doctors that I've seen said that this might not even be related to guitar playing at all. Okay. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, they, they all told me that, and there's no pain associated with this at all. I, the only pain that I get is mental, you know, because it's not working yeah. right. Um, so the first doctor that I saw that works for the Houston Symphony Orchestra, she did it as a favor to me uh, for my singer, because he's got a degree in sports medicine and kinesiology. So he works with all these people. So I came down on her lunch hour. She did some tests on my hand where she let me put my fingers together like this and push out. And then when I, and then, you know, you know, to test my strength going out. And then she had me hold my fingers out and pull in. So my strength uh, pulling in was, was great. It was pushing out was bad. So she immediately assessed that this, the muscle on the left side of my ring finger had been greatly depleted. She said she doesn't know why. She goes, most musicians don't talk about their injuries, don't want to talk about their injuries. No one, nobody didn't know that they're injured. Mm -hmm. She goes, get some rubber bands and just practicing opening and closing your hand. So I'm going, okay, whatever. I bought some rubber bands and did it for about two seconds. Went back to playing guitar, right? So still not getting better. And then I, I went and saw another doctor um, and he started doing some massage therapy on my arm. He's like, man, you've got a toxicity buildup in your hand. He goes, it was, a, uh, and I did like three days of physical therapy with him. And, uh, cause he was in town visiting a friend and it was another favor. Right. Yeah. And he said that the, whatever it had 
the buildup in my arm and the muscles and the lactic acid are and the scar uh, tissue. Yeah, right. Said that that was causing the circulation of blood to not flow to and from my hand properly. Yeah. Right. So he did that stuff. He said, "Yep, you're going to have a 100% recovery." Of course, he went home, lives out of state. I haven't seen him since, but it, it didn't get any better. And then I went to acupuncture and that didn't help at all. It did help my right elbow though. I was having some pain in my right elbow. That's gone, but didn't help yeah. this at all. Went to an orthopedic surgeon, one of the best in Houston said, he goes, man, I don't see anything wrong. X-rayed your hands. He goes, I'm, I, he recommended me to this, uh, another group of people, which I'm about to call here in a little bit. Um, cause they're going to actually do something pro bono for me. Some of the yeah. doctors that work for them, they work with musicians. It's the Houston Methodist center for performing arts. So, they're actually going to work with me a little bit since I don't have insurance being a musician. Mm -hmm. Like that's costly. So man, I'm keeping my fingers crossed and I'm working hard. I mean, I've got bought some wild ass contraptions like this shit wow. here, man. You put it on. Have you seen these before? Uh, yeah, but can I tell you something, Rusty? Yeah. If, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, I, I had a period of musical burnout, uh, you know, teaching the gigging and everything. I got into for a few years, I got into a different industry. I was actually a competitive powerlifter. Mm -hmm. And uh, in my late 40s, I was a sponsored athlete pulling over 700 pounds in the deadlift. Holy cow, man. Yeah, yeah video to proof it. You know, I have sponsored yeah. by companies and stuff. But I had to go to a, a lot of RMT work. <laughs> yeah, like, it's almost yeah. like a Spider-Man thing. Yeah. But they told me because of all the years of playing guitar and lifting and other habits, you know, men develop in their teenage years, which I won't get into. Yeah. Uh, the scar tissue in my arms was brutal. So I'm, I'm using a, I use a massage gun to break okay. it up every second night. Okay, not a so doctor, have, not diagnosing. I bought, I bought one of those things, so I have yeah. it. I've, I even have one of the little things where you put those electrodes on and it shocks your arm and shit. Yeah. It's, I mean, I've never done them consistently, but do you think that actually would work? I'm not. I'm not diagnosing. So you use one of those big. You use one of those really big, powerful massage guns. Yeah, with the sharp, with the sharp pointer on it. Yeah. So that's another thing a lot of guitar players don't know. Like, if you've been playing guitar for 30 years, you're going to have scar tissue. Yeah, I'm going to try that um, because I have one. I bought it for that reason, and I just, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like, man, I should just be able to fix it playing guitar, but no. it hasn't worked so far. So, but uh, I'm going to definitely try that. Um, Keep me posted on that, eh? Yeah, hopefully I'll I'll get some results from this doctor that I'm about to make. But yeah, it's cool that they have that, that. In, in Houston, you know what I mean? The, and they actually have doctors that will work pro bono with you. So you are, uh, you're with Orms to be Guitars now? Yes. I see some nice ones in the background there. Yeah, awesome looking guitars. Thank Can you, you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, man. Um, oh, let me just grab one here. This one's pretty cool. Um, yep, this is the Ormsby RC1. Wow. Uh, and uh, it's 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 a beast, man. It comes with all the things that I'm known for. You know, it's got the this this one has 27 frets, 27 full frets. Yeah. Um, and the, and this one's a neck through right and you have all access to all the frets i mean my pinky right there is at the 27th fret and i'm wow you know, I have no problem playing the 27th fret with this the depth wow. of the cutaway the the cutaway back here is also scooped out it's wide and deep so you can get your hand in there do as big a stretches as you want all 27 frets you know um that's great super thin neck like always you we you know what you would expect oh. the tall ass frets you know yeah. Um, I can't remember which ones are taller, 6100s or 6105, but whichever the, the taller ones are, that's yeah. what I have on here. So it's almost like playing a scallop neck. And speaking of scallops, it does have a slight scallop on it. I don't know if you can see it or not. Oh, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, so it starts like at, uh, as I said, right here at 12, and it comes up to about the fourth string here at the 16th, uh, no, 
yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 18th fret. With all these extra frets, it's, you know, it's hard to look at sometimes. And then it goes back down. And it's, and it's in such a way that it's, it's very beneficial and you don't really notice it. It's subtle. Yeah. Like years ago, I had a guitar that had the last four frets scalloped and I hated it because it was like the whole neck felt a certain way and you got the last four frets and it was like totally off. Yeah. It totally felt weird. So it's, so this with the partial scallop really works super well. Um, Got to be one of the coolest headstocks ever, man. Rusty, dude, I got to tell you, you know, you have the awesomest taste in guitars, dude. It's like, you. I, I was with my partner the other day and I said, you know, I don't even like going into a lot of guitar stores now. This is maybe, you know, we'll do this again down the road, but uh, there's so much junk out there. And, um, yeah. uh, uh, but I like your taste in guitars. Like to me, that is a freaking gorgeous guitar, man. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, it's got all the, you know, it's, I'm a pretty simple one volume knob, a three way. Yeah. You know, I don't use the tone knob. So why? I, I've never used a tone knob. I don't even, I hate them. Right. Yeah. 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 Mine was always on 10 anyway. Yeah. And why leave room for error when you're playing live? Why does it sound like shit? Oh, I bumped my tone up. Exactly. You know, exactly. Kill switch yeah. just for fun. EMGs, I always use the 85.7 in the bridge, 707 in the neck. And oh. the, a main thing is the Floyd Rose low profile. Um, I can't play a regular Floyd Rose because the fine tuners are in the way of where my hand goes. Yeah. Right. Um, and the other thing is, you know, the neck is sunk deep enough into the body that the tremolo pretty much sits level with the body this one's up a little bit oh I'm, look oh look at the, the input jack oh my god oh yeah awesome. oh yeah oh yeah the input jack that's super wow. sick right you can't it's like hidden from the front so you flip it over and you got that so ormsby right. um just for for you know i can't go to my local music store and get one of those so how would someone get one they'd have to go online well <clears throat> ormsby makes their guitars in runs so they're not always available so okay. we made the first run of the seven the six and seven string rc ones and um they all sold out and they're scheduled to make a, a new run i'm not sure exactly when so the only way you can get one of these since they were all bought um is to try to find one used that's that's the downside to it you, okay. know, you have to wait for the next run and then you got to get in line for where all the other runs they got to be made before you're running okay it's, 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 it's a little tough to get it but um you know um if you could find one it's definitely worth it oh my god gorgeous it's, it's guitar, beast, man. man it's a beast it's, uh, it's like we have so. very similar tastes in guitars. It's built for speed and performance, you know. Yeah. Um, that's that's the thing, man. Also, I use the inverted strap locks, you know, yeah. so they're out of your way. Yeah. Um, I'm sure, sure I'm forgetting something. Ebony fretboard, mahogany body. Oh. <clears throat> Always use ebony fretboard, maple neck. It's got the reinforcements. Wow. And stuff like that. You know. So you know, one thing I'd like to mention to everyone too is uh, I, I'm on uh, I'm on Rusty's Patreon. You know, there's so many Patreons out there. I'm very particular as a guitar player. I love Rusty's Patreon page. Um, he had some really awesome sick licks that he put the tabs up to, and uh, so I encourage everyone to go check out Rusty's Patreon for sure. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Please do. This one's pretty sick too. Yeah. This one's got like a you know. It's a neck through body. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're all neck. Yeah. Neck they're, well, they're they're glued in set necks, right. you know. Um, but man, they're just they're just pretty sharp, dude. Yeah, no man, that's sick. That is a sick. Well, I've got like I've got three of them that were made in Australia because it's an Australian company. Yeah. Um, and then there's four of them down here that are the imports. I mean, they're obviously all imports to us in the U.S., but they yeah. make the, they import in the Australian model. So anybody that wants a custom made one can can have that made any time. Okay. You awesome. Wanna, you know. You know, if you want an Australian-made one, you can call them and say, hey, man, I want this, this, and this, this color, and they'll build it for you. Awesome. Um, but otherwise, you have to wait for the run. So I guess you can get one anytime if you're willing to pay for the, the custom okay. build. 
so uh, as I said, guys, uh, so uh, Rusty is not, he's with Ormsby Guitars. He's got great, and I've always known this about Rusty for years. I'm like, man, that dude's got killer guitars. We have got the same taste. Uh, I really like Rusty's Patreon. We were having a big chat about that, and uh, uh, we, there's a lot of stuff going on over there as well. Uh, Rusty gives private lessons. Yep. Rusty gives private lessons, and uh, yep. you have your own uh, signature pick line, right? Yep, yep. And I use the uh, Swiss picks. Um, I got a couple different ones. Um, the first one that, I, that we came out with is this guy right here. Okay. And I use the 2.0. It's a Swiss pick. This is the nuclear chatter model. Right? Okay. Nuclear um, chatter. Yep. And before I was using this pick, I was using a, like a, a Dunlop Holtex pick. So it's a point, but it's not super pointy. So when when Pete from Swiss Picks first called me up, he was, you know, he's, he's actually, he just sent me some picks and it was like, like, it was thinner and it had a regular round tip, like a fender extra heavy or something like that. And I said, well, dude, thanks for sending me the picks, but do you make anything heavier? He's like, well, we don't make it at the time. And, and you know, we just talked for a minute and, and that was that next year rolls around and he's, and he says, he goes, Hey man, where you at? He was, we were, he was at Nam, and he thought I was going to be there. And that was one year that I didn't go. And he goes, well, I made you these picks, man. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm not there. So he sent them to me and they, they looked like this. This was the, the cheddar model, right? Yeah. Okay. But they were made out of a different material, a Durlin material, right? And, and I liked the pick a lot. I just wasn't crazy about the sound of Durlin. It was a little bit warmer than what I personally like. Okay. And I kept trying to get him to make it with this other material, which is a polycarbonate. That's what these are. Okay. And, uh, and he's like, well, dude, you know, if you don't like the picks, you don't have to play them. And, you know, and the idea. And I was like, no, dude, I, I do. I like the pick. I just, will you try this other material? And, you know, it's a small company, so it's not easy to, to do these, just try these changes. It's not that easy. Yeah. So I finally convinced him to do it. And he calls me up and he's like, oh, my God, dude, this is the best pick in the world. It's the fastest. It flies up the string like glass. And, you know, yeah. and I was like, dude, you should have listened to me six months ago, you know. Um, so, so that's kind of the story on how this came about. Um, so this was the first pick that Swiss Picks made like this. Now they make other picks that aren't my signature model that look like this, okay. but it's based off my signature model. Like they make the ones in Durland still. Okay. Um, but um, it comes like this, and and then we have this. This is more recent. This is um, mm. I forgot what we're calling this. I think that the joke or kick around name was the prison <laughs> shank. Okay. But uh, I came up with the idea for this one day, and and then let me tell you something about these picks. First of all, these picks are so tough, dude. I, when I was teaching in the music school, I left one at the school, and it took me a year to make any wear on it. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. And I, told I go Pete, through picks I said, like I said. I told Pete, I said, dude, we are going to either have to make these more expensive or make them cheaper because nobody's going to need to buy them in replacement. Yeah. Because they last so long. I mean, I'm I'm not kidding at all. I left one at the school and te taught on it five days a week for a year before I started seeing any wear on it. You know. And uh, that's that's that should say a lot. They're USA made. That should say a lot too, right? Exactly. Um, so they they are tough as nails, man. They last forever. And and I made the first version of this. I made a couple here at the house. I was practicing one day and I was like, oh, let me try this, you know, for what I was practicing it. And so I these things are so tough that I, you know, with a regular pick, you can kind of take it and rub it on the carpet even and reshape it, right? Yeah. These I had to actually get sandpaper and a grinder out. Yeah. To shape it into this form that's how wow. that's how solid this material is you know so yeah. so i i sent a couple to him that i made and he's like all right well man if you really believe in this let's we'll, we'll make some so so we've got both versions of it and and i don't play this one as much as i play the regular one but this was this is like for super precise practicing and picking because when you're picking your pick should only dig in the actual depth of the string or less yeah right 
So, you know, this is close, but this is even closer. So if you want to work on super precise, fast alternate picking, this is pretty, pretty much there. And it's got a bevel on the edge too. So it slides off the string really easy. Um, it's just, it's just a cool option to have. You know what? I'm going to do a review of them. I'm going to try some yeah. and do a review. Cool, man. And uh, I'm a jazz free guy. I have been since yeah. like the late eighties, but yeah, as they soon make as they wear down. They, they make them in that size too. Um, they make, this is the regular size one. And then they make, um, or I should say Pete makes one like this size. That's the, that's the, I think that's, that's the jazz three size. So you got, okay. you got this, right. And then they make, then they make one that's in between these two a size. So there's okay. like three different sizes of these and then they got the, and then you got this one. So okay. that's super cool. I, I wear mine out quickly and I get rid of them as soon as the you, coating you starts not, to wear. Yeah. Dude, tell me how long it takes you to wear one of these out. We will what what thickness sure. do you use? Uh, just the regular Jazz 3s, the, just the red ones. That's the oh, same okay. one. Yeah, so for... These are 2.0s. I think these are about what a Jazz 3 is. Okay. It's 2.0. It's really thick. You know, it's not, you know, I don't want to pick that's going to have any flex to it. And obviously a Jazz 3 doesn't because they're so no. small. But, um, and, and, you know, dude, I tried the Jazz 3 thing years ago. I just can't use it for anything but lead playing. I can't play rhythm guitar with it. You know, it I is tricky. Something, something more to, you know, I'm used to, I grew up playing Fender Extra Heavies, you know. Yeah. So I can't use the small picks. Maybe. You should see me when I do my funk lessons, you know, teaching ninth chords. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's <laughs> with funny. the Jazz 3, it took a while to yeah. get the hang of that. But uh, Yeah, that, man. So, uh, Rusty, so it's, it's RustyCooley.com? Correct. Yep. RustyCooley.com. And again, guys, um, uh, check out Rusty's Patreon. I'm there. Hell, I'm there. Say hi to me when you pop on. You know, we, go, can, uh, we can have a little chat. But, uh, you know, it's very important to me to be inspired with guitar. And Rusty's always been one of my go-tos to be inspired. I'm still, you know, I'm not fanboying out here. But uh, it's it's been wonderful. And uh, Rusty, again, I'm hoping down the road we can do something. Maybe a little bit more involved with both of us with the guitars as I get more technologically advanced with what I'm doing here. But uh, it's been an absolute honor. Thank you so much for your time and coming on today. Oh, man, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. Enjoy talking with you, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you. You bet.